to session 22 of Storm King's Teddy. Kat, how you doing? Doing well, how are you? Alright. So did you catch them all? I actually did. Um, <laughs> with the help of Mask and Winifred, um, he traded me some over some exclusives that I didn't have. And I have completed my Pokedex. Nice. Uh, is that Luna in the background? Yes, she. The Aww. second you hit record, she started fine. That's fine. Uh, she's a good girl. Okay, well, uh, so session twenty-two, uh, we were already uh, headed down the Hydra and had uh, met some other uh, uh, Drow. And we got down to where we were just south of the Pyramid of the Ebon Flame. And we actually did decide, I guess we hadn't up to that point, but we actually at that point decided to go ahead and break the shrinking charms on Richter Scales and the, and the other mounts, the uh, axe beaks that are not axe beaks. Um, they're the chocobos. Yeah, those. Um, so, yeah, so... What'd you think about that decision? Um, I mean, it had to happen at some point. Um, I don't think it mattered to me either one way or another, but to Tavane, staying on land is great. Sure, because you lost all of your seasick patches. Um, so I realized it was going to happen too. I didn't know. So two minds. Uh, the first one is I'm glad that we're taking the time to do these side quests as we go. Um, because I still think that we're going to end up gaining experience and some of them are time sensitive, like the one we just did. We'll get into that here in a second. But, um, I also wonder if our final goal is not also time sensitive. So don't know which way to lean on that. Um, but, uh, is what it is. I, I thought if we wanted to do this in the absolute fastest total time possible, we would actually go all the way South down the Hydra on boat, then, uh, break the shrinking curse, go and do our main quest first. And then, pick up the others on the way back because we were going to have to go by land on the way back anyway. I think that would have been the least total amount of time, but I don't know if that would have been the best way to go about it. Um, yeah, I don't think it really matters unless there's, like you said, time-sensitive um, quests because we know Teddy likes to make that a thing. So... Um, I'm pretty sure our main quest isn't time sensitive. I don't know what there would be that would make it time sensitive. It just kind of said was like, "Hey, go to this place," and and actually, I've kind of forgotten why we're going there in the first place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I nothing comes up or screams to mind of why we have to do that first and then come up and do the rest later. Well, but. The one, the one encounter that we, uh, the one fighting encounter that we had last session, um, screamed of being time sensitive because uh, there was a stranded crew of that airship, and would they have still been alive by the time we came back? My guess is no, 
because they were already running out of rations and, and all that. So certainly uh, this particular side quest at least was time sensitive. And so maybe we are hitting them in the right order. Um, Could be. Uh, I think I don't... Let me scroll through some notes and get back to you, but I'm pretty sure um, the quest Tick Tick gave us might be time sensitive. Okay, um, and what one was that? That was about, I think it was like um, the Thrykeen are being lured into a hole. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because they hear this this song and yeah, yeah, they're all being lured um, away from Storm's Reach. Stormreach. So that one might be time sensitive. Um, the acorn for York can be whenever the whaling could have been whenever, but that was like right next to Stormreach, so we've already did that. Um, the airship was time sensitive, and the other one was just information on the Kraken tattoo people. Okay, well, uh, also I should mention that it's uh, raining like a banshee here, so if you're hearing a thump thump in the background of this recording, it's because there's uh, drips hitting my windowsill. Um, okay, so we did end up breaking out all of the the uh, the land cruiser and all of the uh, chocobos, um, and we went essentially due east, just south of the pyramid of the ebon flame. And as we traveled east, and it was. Few hundred miles, right? I think it was two, maybe three hundred. Yeah. So uh, we also ran into this entire uh, area that was um, a good, a good amount of distance. Uh, I mean, we traveled through it for days, right? Where yeah. it was just this giant, um, uninhabitable scar, no trees, it, and. Um, obvious signs of battles that were recent and even some that were hundreds of years old. And we, um, we found some Vokuri bodies, uh, and also, uh, right away two jungle giants and a frost giant that looked like they'd been dead for a few weeks and cause most of the flesh was gone. And so at this point, my paranoia kicks in and I'm like, Okay, this is a graveyard. I mean, it's a battlefield, but there's all kinds of dead here. And we're going to get caught out in the middle of this and be attacked by zombies and skeletons and all this kind of thing. So I start worrying about should we be just going down through the center of this area that's obviously seen a lot of death. Uh, Did you get that impression? Uh, No, not really. Um, I just kind of thought it was just like an old, untouched battlefield. Well, not really untouched, but, you know, it's just a battlefield. So, I mean, I guess I'm not paranoid enough to think zombies and ghouls <laughs> can come from come from a battlefield. I mean, that's a very valid fear um, or paranoia. But I was just like, okay, so we're at a battlefield. Um, well, when much- it was... It was dis- it was specifically described as you know most of their flesh being gone and that kind of thing, and I'm like oh no, so my f- I don't know why this came as my first thought, but it was like these things get up and start fighting like every night, 
because it's like an old battlefield. Their spirits are going to rise, and they're going to re-engage every night, or or we were going to hit an eclipse or something like that, and they were all going to get up and fight. And I'm like, oh, man, we really don't need to be in the middle of this. But uh, ended up it was just a battlefield that had seen so much action that, um, you know, you sow blood enough times, nothing's going to grow. So, You know, it could possibly could have been an encounter, because I do remember Teddy having a few of us roll a couple D100s and then giving no context whatsoever afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe based on some of the rolls from the D100s, it was either this bat- this is like an active battlefield, a dead battlefield, or like what you said, where the battlefield comes to life at night and the spirits fight each other and everything. Or it was just no encounter happens, you're just in a battlefield. Yeah, maybe. Um, so it could have been that um, I had a valid fear and it just didn't roll that way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so anyway, but that was why I kept asking, yeah, should we just skirt around this, you know, stay, stay in the area that's scarred. So we have an easier time going, but go around the edge, but that was going to cost us days. So, um, we ended up not doing that. And it was a good thing because of the encounter that we eventually did run into. Um, uh, we we tried to bury some of the freshly dead along the way, and we just kept encountering more and more and more. Um, you were helping out uh, Keelan doing last rites by uh, building the funeral pyres with your cantrip. Mm-hmm. Um, it was your idea. Just a few of us tagged along. Um, Lars and Portia, you know, were help carrying bodies, and yep. you were giving funeral rites, and I just set them ablaze. Um, okay. So uh, on the battlefield, we did find a, uh, draw boomerang that was made kind of like a blackened bone, um, had, uh, some like draw lettering on it. Um, so <laughs> Lars, Portia, you, me, we all got inspiration for giving those funeral rites that I talked about. Mine was wasted (laughs) again. Um, so, um, and we were seeing a lot of scavengers like wolves, coyotes and all that as we ran through this place. Um, so when we talked to Harshnag, he thought the place was just an abomination. Basically thinks everybody that does that died here, for the history of this location was an idiot. Um, there were some really old Elven artifacts, um, and we surmised that the elves probably started their uprising here. Uh, and then we found an Elven shield with a, it was kind of like a journal written on it. So what'd you make of that? It was interesting to see that, you know, the, Instead of like having pen and paper or uh, a chisel and a stone or whatever um, to record stuff, that they just you know took their shield and was just like, "Hey, today is X day. We marched for three days or something. Uh, nothing to report." Or the next entry could be. We didn't ex- actually know what most of the entries were because I don't think any of us could really read it. Um, but it was just 
you know, just like a journal or a log. So it was, it was very um, world building. It was. And the, so here's the thing, even though I was fascinated by the way that it was described as using a piece of your equipment as like a journal, the thing that really piqued my interest about that particular item was that Teddy uh, said that it was made of some sort of like proto-mithril, like an early version of mithril. And I'm just like, I wonder what that's all about. I would be interested to um, hand that over to uh, Lady Omarin and see what she thinks. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, so then uh, let's see what else. Uh, anything else about that um, that blighted area we ran through? Um, no. Uh, like I said, I think this was probably one of those encounters where we just rolled to see what happened, and we rolled that nothing happened, and it was just you see a battlefield and go through a battlefield, and there's no encounters. Um, I'm sure if we rolled differently, things would have been different. Um, but yeah, there's pretty much just world building, lore, um, some history here and there. Oh, we did have a almost encounter with a stone giant, right? While we were oh, running through here. Yeah. So yeah, I forgot about the stone giant. as we were headed east, we uh, sighted a stone giant that was headed south. And they either thought we were beneath their notice or they just didn't care or whatever. And didn't attack us so we just kind of went on our merry way yeah we're we're deep in the jungles of zendrick and i think it's more of like or at least um the tone i'm getting is like don't fuck with me and i won't fuck with you so it's just kind of like unless it's just naturally aggressively hostile um so far all of our sighting encounters have just been like hey i'm not here to attack you hey i'm not here to kill you I'm just like here to chat or I'm just taking a walk or I'm just feeding on this corpse or something. So it was very primal and, um, and like kind of passive aggressive. It's just like, like I said, just, just don't fuck with anything. <laughs> so, uh, so once again, as soon as this, uh, almost encounter happened, my mind goes to worst case scenario. I, I immediately think, we would be getting attacked right now if Harshnag wasn't here because there's just one of them. And I'm like, okay, he's headed south. He's going to get his buddies and he's going to come back. That's exactly what I thought. I, I always go to the worst case scenario. That way, if it doesn't happen, I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, so, uh, let's see. Uh, and uh, I will interject here before we go on to the next um, thing here is we encountered a um, Commodon I think that's how it's pronounced which was this was it leopard leopard um, bodied with a snake head hair oh like yeah Medusa. so um, yeah it was like a like a jaguar or a panther or whatever and it had like four snake things coming out of its mane or whatever yep this this is why i keep referring to the rolls of d100s we made is because teddy did specifically say that this time we rolled to 
the encounter of this commandant, but not the fight for the commandant. Or we rolled to actually see it and not just miss it entirely. So that's where I'm getting all this basis of our D100s are saying like the the scar or the um the battlefield was just nothing happened because we rolled for nothing happened. Well, this time we rolled for a sighting, but it wasn't a fight. Um, and this was an instance where the commandant was just eating its prey and is just like, hey, it's like Teddy said, like, if you encountered one that was hungry, there would have been an encounter and a fight. And I don't know the stats on these things. I've never heard of it before. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, maybe there's like some petrification with the snake bites or just crazy attack damage. Petrification know, but... from the snake? Oh, you're thinking like a Medusa type thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah maybe. I don't know. Um, so, I assume kind of poison. We got to... Could be. Um, um, maybe they do both. I don't know. It could uh, be. But we'll never know because we only saw but didn't fight it. Um, Portia made a little comment of saying, like, oh, she loves you. Um, or she loves the Commodon, which was the like a pseudo cat thing. So I think that's where she's getting, or, or that's where I'm understanding is why she loves it. It's because it's kind of like a cat. All right. So, uh, oh, talking about the stone giant again. The other thing was uh, that, that just kind of made my neck hair stand up was that he was so far from home. So he, his home was in, Oh, where did Teddy say it was? Um, uh, I can't remember, uh, put it in my notes. Oh, uh, the Valley of shadows or the fangs of, uh, Agrok. Um, and, that's really far to the really far to the west like across the hydra and and then so not only were they uh really far east of where they came from but they were headed south so there was something going on that's like i said just what i was thinking in the back of my head um okay um we did find on the battlefield uh, a giant bag, uh, just like a belt pouch for a giant. It had 150 feet of some kind of vine rope in it and a small stone tablet with pictograms on it. But small stone tablet for a giant is like person-sized slab of rock. So uh, we took rubbings of the parts that were still uh, indented enough to take rubbings on. And... Uh, yeah, and then, um, my next note said it took us four days to cross the wasteland. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, okay, so two days after the, um, um, leaving that battlefield, that scar blighted area, we did encounter that, uh, that creature, say its name again. I'm calling Dime it a Dimetrodon, uh, and then uh, and uh, and then we also uh, ran into the um, uh, the Commandon, right? Oh, okay. So the Dimetrodon was um, in a creek, and then the Commandon was 
Um, that was the Jaguar with the mane of live snakes. Uh, but two days travel after that, um, we found the airship and it was caught in the canopy of this giant tree broken up into three major chunks. And, uh, there was a brunette human female in, uh, I think half elven wearing armor, um, and, um, ask us for help. I think that was the captain, right? Uh, it, is it D- Dasalandra Brightwing? Was that the right name? Yeah, that was the captain. Yeah. So that was Lady Omarin's courier. Um, and um, the entire area was under attack by a zombie horde. And then there were these uh, three or four, uh, what were they called? Um, uh, is it, uh, Garillon, the forearmed apes? And that's the, how I would pronounce it. Yeah. And they were also undead. Um, and, um, so we took care of the, uh, we took care of the zombies on the ground. There were, I don't know, uh, what do you think? Eight of them, something like that. Yeah. I think there's four on each side. And then... Um, so at that point, everyone's trying to climb the tree and, or the three separate main trunks where the airships spread out on and various numbers of the crew are under attack up in the trees by one of these forearmed apes. And so everybody starts climbing the tree and then purely for theatrics, uh, Teddy said, all right, so. Harshnag's going to hold off the zombie horde while we scaled the trees. And I'm like, well, I'm not leaving Harshnag down here by himself. So I'm like, all right, I'm stay, I'm staying too. So I positioned myself with my spirit guardians up and I was getting ready to fight the zombie horde with him. And then Teddy's like, no, that's for theatrics. You need to go up to the canopy. I'm like, okay. So I did that. Um, but I, he gave me another inspiration and I couldn't take it. <laughs> Second time for the game. Uh, so this is uh, four times in the last two games I got inspiration and could not take it. I'm just going to start giving them away to the people that use them. Um, okay, so... Um, oh, uh, the battle, it actually took us two, three rounds to get up into the canopy. Um, I would say from start to scene change, it was probably four turns because we took a a turn killing off the initial eight zombies, uh, which was the initial uh, combat, and then probably took a turn to climb, to begin climbing up the tree, and then another turn to get up, to fully get up the tree, and then a third turn was like, okay, now you're on top of the tree, and then the last one was finishing off the the four-armed apes and you were lamenting the fact that you didn't have your tabaxi from the other fifth edition game yeah <laughs> to climb I, um, the tree. yeah teddy's like does anyone have climbing speed and i'm just i i secretly mess it well i didn't secretly but i just messaged you i'm like man this would be a great time for my tabaxi rogue to like climb dash dash move dash double my movement and then i could have like 120 like three three some 
crazy amount of movement, and I'd be like, yeah, this would be a good time for a tabaxi. But no, I'm just a simple half-elf paladin. So our, our um, basically it was difficult terrain. Our climbing rate was half of our movement. So that's why it took us so long to get up. Everyone except, of course, for Mask. <laughs> yeah, sneaky little rogues can dash as a bonus action, so he could... He could use his movement, he could use his action to move some more, and then he could bonus action use his movement, uh, or dash as well, which would be more movement. So, um, procs of being a rogue and getting a lot of movement, hence why I said tabaxis are super fun, because you can have a lot of movement in one turn, basically. And uh, but you also beat me to um, the idea of having Harshnag put you as far up as he could into the canopy. To get your oh, head start. Was, that was your idea too. Oh yeah, I was totally going that direction, and then you did it, and I'm like, oh, you beat me by like, you know, just if I would have started talking quicker, because <laughs> um, it, it was just on the tip of my tongue, and then Teddy's like, all right, but he can't do any more people this turn. I'm like, oh damn. Plus, I needed to go to the uh, uh, an area where he wasn't standing, so. Yeah, um, I did ask for Harshnag to give me a boost up the tree, and then I start climbing, which got me a good way, way up there, but I didn't know that would eat his whole turn to do that for me, so I'm like, oh shit, uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But it was fine. Um, everything was fine, but yeah, I just wanted to just get a little head start, get up there as quick as possible to see if I could help out at all. Okay, and then... Uh, okay, so... The the zombies down on the uh, floor were, or down on the ground were um, paralyzing if you didn't have elven blood um, or make a save, which was bad, uh, but um, overall didn't have a ton of hit points, and there wasn't a billion of them, so uh, we fared really well there. I tell you what, though, um, those four-armed apes were dealing out some damage because they were attacking five times around. Yeah. Um, I think it was... So, to explain a little bit more, the ghouls we initially fought um, paralyzed you if you didn't have... If you were an elf or undead, you're fine. But if you weren't an elf or an undead you would be have to make a constitution saving throw or be paralyzed. Well, um, I thought it was full-blooded elves. So Portia was fine, con- considering she was uh, a sub-race of elf. But you and I are half-elves. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Um, so when I got hit, I'm like, okay, this probably isn't going to affect me. First off, I didn't read it um, thoroughly enough because I didn't see that until Portia made it up. But when I got hit, um, I made my save, so it didn't matter. But when it came to your turn, you got hit as well. But Teddy's like, you have elven blood, so you don't have to make the save. I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, it didn't come up ever again, but that was nice to know that like, I we weren't full elves, but yet we were still immune to the paralyzation of these attacks. Yeah, that and was then, awesome. Because yeah. <laughs> I yeah. figured it was full elves, too. Yeah, I, I mean... Maybe it is full elves, and Teddy was being generous, saying half elves get it too. But I, I full would have gone with just full elf or undead. Um, but yeah, then the we got up to the the canopy tree parts um, where the ship was, and there was these three four armed undead apes. 
can't remember Garalons, I think the name you said you know, they were. Um and yeah, as you said, they hit pretty hard. Uh well they didn't hit pretty hard, they hit a lot. Yeah, they hit a lot. <laughs> it was like five multi attacks or something crazy like that. Yeah, all four um, arms and a bite. And I don't um I'm looking in the chat right now to see how much damage they were doing. But I don't think it was anything crazy. Yeah, they were rolling D6s, I think, for damage. But they oh. were they, they were still... No, here it is. Uh, they were rolling D4s plus 4. Yeah. That so the max you could get hit was 8. Yeah, but you could get hit for 8 4 times and a bite. Yeah. So I, I guess the total, if they rolled four on every roll and would you get 32 in one round which is quite a bit but you know five attacks with a decent ac you know most of those are gonna miss and um i was also surprised since they were also um i described as ghouls that they didn't get the paralyzed on their forearm attacks they were undead not ghouls okay so I think that's why. I think ghouls, these ghouls specifically had the paralyzation attacks, whereas the Garalons were just undead. Which I remember Teddy making a comment saying that this wasn't, this was like unnatural for a Garalon to be undead. So I think that might have been like a hint or a drop to maybe there might be a necromancer around. Yeah, I wondered about that, which also makes me skittish about the, the battlefield again. Which, it would make sense for a necromancer to camp here with that battlefield right there. Yeah. So, there's just that. Um, And, um, I don't know about you, but when Teddy was describing the Star Goddess being broken up into three segments, I thought, like, the ship was intact, but it was, like, resting at an angle. So, like, the back was higher than the front. And I didn't realize when he said it was broken into three segments, it was literally broken into yeah. three second segments. It, it was like somebody took a chop saw and <laughs> took yeah. off the bow, took off the stern, put the middle. So, in. Yeah. So when he threw us on that second um, map for the encounters with the Garlons, and I'm sitting here going like, oh, shit, this ship is well beyond repair. <laughs> like, it's literally in three pieces, and it's way more than Porsche. We were joking about Porsche fixing it, and I'm like, well, it's possible if it's just still intact. It was not intact enough for her to fix it. <laughs> so I came up with the brilliant idea. I still say this is a brilliant idea of taking the the engine out of that ship and putting it into our RV. <laughs> so we can fly. We can have Howl's Moving Castle. I I mean, I don't know. That's that's a Teddy call, not us. It's oh, like Teddy already I, made that call. He said no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, we did take care of the uh, Garalons. Um, one of the crew was killed, uh, during the fight with the Garalons. Uh, and I think basically Teddy had rolled enough damage that, um, it was going to drop them right where they were. So instead of that, just said they were, uh, getting thrown off of 
the boat and uh, you know what 50 ish feet down to the to the floor of the forest yeah and yeah so i thought all right if he's not doing the damage and he's gonna let the fall kill him so i i shouted for harshnag i'm like hey harshnag incoming and i wanted to see if harshnag could catch him and save him and he rolled his wisdom i think he rolled like a three so yeah. he did not get the message or um or didn't uh, wasn't able to react in time one of the two um i'd also like to point out that um instead of calling them crew teddy has called them jobbers yeah <laughs> in session he's like the jobbers want to help out too and i'm just like yes oh that's funny <laughs> i've gotten you to say jobbers yes now teddy is saying jobbers and it's like yes i have tried to quit but i can't <laughs> I feel accomplished for getting my my lingo for getting infected into two people now. So I uh, traditionally had always called jobbers red shirts. Oh, <laughs> and, fair enough. And uh, <laughs> when you started using that term, I just thought it was funny. Uh, so, all yeah, right. There, so for combat with the Garalons, there wasn't anything crazy. Um you and Winifred took up the back crew and Lars. Oh no 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 no! We we need to we need to back that up. Huh? Winifred took the back. I was climbing. Oh, okay. <laughs> he did all the damage. Um, Winifred got on the uh, got on the rear, and they took a swing at that Garillon and put it down like to like quarter hit points. And then disengaged and got back. I I didn't do nothing. I couldn't get there in time. So anyway, go ahead. So on the middle um, section. Yeah, I mean, um, watching um, Winifred play a rogue is giving me insight on how to play a rogue as well for my for our other D and D campaign with my Tabaxi. And it's really interesting because I never thought because I'm I'm fairly new to D and D, so I never thought to engage and then disengage like i can do that as a rogue like i can get in there stabby stab get my sneak attack bonus action disengage get out of there and then i don't have to stay up in combat or anything um because i've kind of built my rogue to be a pseudo frontliner in that campaign so i usually just i engage cast blur and then i'm good and everything i don't think about disengaging and all that so it's nice to see an experienced D player still pass on their knowledge to other players aka myself um just wanted to bring that up so but anyways for go ahead yeah uh so center section yeah so for combat uh, winfred and you in the back winfred doing everything according to you um prue and lars take up the center and portia and myself take the front um there, I think there was a little bit of damage on the Garlons, not much. So we pretty much came in and finished off all combat, killed them. Um, there was wasn't anything crazy anyone did. I think Portia did a chaos bolt. True, just kills with her gun. Uh, Winifred came in, stabbed, got disengaged, and everything. Um, I had a plan. Um, and I was going to cast a spell, but the Garlon I was going to cast it on had, like, 
two HP left or something, something minuscule amount. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't need to overkill um, what was going to, what I was going to do. So I'm just like, I'll just Eldritch Blast it and whatever. For context, I was going to hex it um, doing 1d6 of necrotic damage. Oh, that probably would have healed it. Oh, good thing I didn't. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know that necrotic damage automatically heals undead. Um, but I don't I'm, know. Hold on. I might be wrong with hexing. Hexing might be cold damage and not necrotic. I would actually say most, I, I would think more undead would be resistant to cold damage than necrotic. Right, hex does necrotic. So maybe that was a good thing I didn't hex because I would have done a d6 of necrotic damage plus my eldritch blasts, and then as a bonus action, I could move that hex to another Garalon and then eldritch blast that one. So the plan was to hex the first one, do one beam of eldritch blast, kill him, bonus action, move that hex over to the other one, or, or maybe I, no, I couldn't have, I couldn't have bonus action moved it because hex is a bonus action as itself. Yep. Um, but then Eldritch Blast the other one with my second beam, but I missed my first Eldritch Blast, thereby forcing me to use my second one and kill the Garalon up front after Portia did a Chaos Bolt and did crazy amount of damage and, like, almost killed it from half or three-fourths. She did a lot of damage. And then Prue, you know, with her multi-attack... One shot here, kills that one. One shot over there, finishes off that one. Or just about finishes off that one. I think he lived with 2 HP or 1 HP. or was just enough to live. Um, but it was easy enough to finish off with um, Lars doing his psychic glance. I think that's what it's called. I believe that's right because he said he was shaping it as an actual lance out of his forehead. Yeah. Which is awesome, because he can throw psychic lances, throw fireballs. You know, Lars is a mystery bag of tricks that continues to amaze me. <laughs> it's like you rub his belly and something new comes out every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, uh, oh, you know what? I did do one thing. I absolutely did one thing. I used a bonus bonus action to do a healing word on one of the crew. And they would have gone down if I hadn't done that. Because the Garalon hit him the next turn. So I did do one thing. Yeah, so that was pretty much it for the the Garalon fight, the part two of um the Star Goddess encounter fight. Um I don't think there's any more fighting to do because everything with the death of one jobber, the captain was still alive, the first mate was still alive. They had a SOS beacon that Portia took a look at and fixed it right up. Uh, yep. So skillful artificer does. She asked Keelan for guidance and um, rolled, ended up with a 23 and the guidance, put it up to a 25. So was able to get the beacon working again. Um, and they were expecting a, a rescue within a few days, right? Yeah. I don't remember, or I don't think it was specifically said how long the rescue was. It was just going to be a couple days. Um, but assuming, well, maybe if it, they go by airship, it'll be quicker. So I, this is probably like a, another week max, but I would assume it would be three, four days. So we did recover the cargo that the, um, skyship was hauling and it's something called the Nightstone. 
Um, mm-hmm. It has a circumference of about a foot, um, kind of like a perfectly round orb of obsidian. But it's actually made of kyber crystal. And we've never seen kyber crystal be smooth or spherical. It's always, you know, like spines of um, rock sticking out, almost looks like a burr. Um, and we couldn't identify what school of magic it was. Um, Teddy said that it kind of radiated all or none, or it was just confusing. And he brought up the possibility of wild magic, which is my, which is my, uh, personal guess that this thing's made out of, uh, or is infused with wild magic. Uh, said it was about five pounds in weight and, uh, we decided to take it with us on the rest of our quest. Uh, other than that, uh, the captain also gave us a pair of binoculars, uh, which function as a spyglass. Um, I don't let me forget to tell you what my, um, what my idea is for the binoculars. Okay. Um, we also got a potion of greater healing, a potion of heroism, which is interesting. Um, that potion of heroism, uh, whoever's going to be up in melee, um, I'm thinking that needs to be attached to you because, uh, it gives you 10, I think it's 10 temporary HP and the effects of a bless spell for a good long time. And so your hits would go a lot easier. Uh, was there something else on the potion of heroism too? Uh, for one hour after drinking it, you gain 10 temporary hit points that last for an hour. For the same duration, you are under the effects of Bless Spell, no concentration required. Um, and the contents is a blue potion of bubbles and steams as if it was boiling. Okay, so oh. those were the two effects. That's but, all the descriptions. But have. still, that's pretty good. Bless Spell and uh, temp HP. And we also got a gold signet ring from the captain of House uh, Lyrander, and basically that means that the house owes us a favor. So uh, that was pretty good. Um, oh, uh, the binoculars. So I hadn't thought about this until Mask said something about um, uh, they f- they function just as a spyglass. So he, he said something that... M- that got me either he said it directly or it got me thinking we could basically get two spy glasses out of this. Well, then my mind twisted in a whole nother direction and went, you know what? Porsche's gun could get a scope out of this and we could still have a, <laughs> we could still have a spy glass and have Porsche with a scoped rifle. And I bet, um, or I'm sorry, Prue, with a scoped rifle and Porsche to do the work on the rifle to to put the scope on it. Um, so that was my idea. Could be. I don't know the specifics of Prue's rifle or gun, so I I just know it's a gun. Well, um, I I would argue that if it had a scope on it, that uh, maybe either a plus to hit at over a certain range or, um, you know, best case scenario would be advantage, but, um, 
that's pretty tough. But maybe she could get a few pluses to hit over, you know, if it was out past, you know, like 100 feet or something. Give her some crazy amount of range. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, um, so this Nightstone, Teddy told us uh, that the captain said it was held in the vault of a dwarven family. And I, so I don't know why all of a sudden it was being transported. That's my big question. Um, and the airship was brought down. Was it by cloud giants or storm giants? I thought it was cloud giants. I think it's cloud. So they caused the airship to go off course and then they were like throwing boulders at it, right? Yeah. Uh, we also found out that, um, Harshnag had encountered dragons before, uh, one in particular called Zerulian death, which is like an ancient dragon and her two children. And in speaking with them about that, we found out that very old dragons are immune to the traveler's curse. Um, and, um, the Zerulean death told Harshnag that he had fought bravely in the fight that they were in. Um, and also Harshnag said that Zerulean death predated, uh, even Hecaton's father. Um, and also that she was a very hateful creature. So wonder what color we should ask. Uh, I had to step out at this moment, so I missed all of this. Um, I'm going to say Cerulean Death. Hmm. Something just speaks to me and says black. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it could be. Um, or red. Or, um, yeah. Doesn't sound like blue. Um. Isn't, this is, um. You said it's Zurillian, right? Was the name or Zurillian or Zurillian or something like that? Well, I mean, it sounds close to Cerulean, so it could be blue. Oh, okay. Hmm. I don't know. I, like I said, I I had to step out for a quick second, and I missed. Interesting. All of this. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the chromatic dragons, though. Um, and then Harshnag also took all the ship wreckage and made it into a giant treehouse before he left. Uh, really that was the only encounter. And after that, we decided to turn due south and started moving. Uh, after we'd gone for quite a ways, the terrain had kind of turned from tropical to the deciduous forests. Um, and we kind of sideswiped the ring of storms, which was completely massive. It's like an inland hurricane. Um, and Keelan, I don't know how I got to be the guide. <laughs> um, Keelan made a survival check, uh, with Harshnag aiding me because he's uh, proficient in it. And, um, I rolled crap. So here I used my inspiration and rolled again. And, uh, I rolled well enough that we're not lost, but, um, 
we're about 200 miles south um, or 200 miles south of us is this massive oak tree that we're supposed to be headed towards to get York's acorn. And also um, where this uh, group of dryads and uh, or um, you know, circle of dryads might also be. And they're probably not going to be very happy that we're there. So yeah. here's what I think. We're either going to ask for the acorn and be told no unless we perform some task or we're going to fight for it. That's my guess. Um, I, I don't know. I've never encountered a dryad in D&D before. Um, I, I'm going to geek out here for a second. The only dryads I know of are from Wild Wastes, which is a book recommendation <laughs> from you that yeah. I've been reading. And I've grown quite fond of dryads. So I don't know if I'm looking forward to fighting some dryads right now. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, dryads get very protective of their of their groves and their trees. So, um, I imagine at the very least they would require some monumental service for something that came from one of their trees. Um, but yeah, that's that. Um, I didn't have anything else to talk about for the session. How about you? No, how's that pretty much covers it all. Okay, so you uh, have your Eldritch Blast report, yeah? Yes, my cantrip report. Um, I did one melee, uh, and it landed, breaking the 50%. Nice. Uh, we're at five hits, four misses, now at 55% with uh, Green Flame Blade. Um, still feel like hitting AC is just hit or miss, regardless of percentages. But it's still fun to do. And I Eldritch Blast once, um, and a hit and a miss with that one. So staying at 71%, but we're at 16 hits and 7 misses. So, yeah, you're, you're right. But, I mean, it's the same thing as someone making a saving throw. It's either a hit or a miss. and it's But it, it's all about percentages. If, um, for instance, if someone has to roll a... 15 to make a save then or, or a 16 to succeed on a saving throw um, I should be landing that spell 75% of the time and only failing 25 it's the same thing with hitting AC if um, although it changes because the monsters have different ACs is that what you yeah. were saying that's that's kind of what I'm saying it's like yeah. I could hit like a tiny little rat that has an AC of five or something versus fighting a fire giant, which has an AC of like 23 or something. And then obviously it's going to be easier to hit the rat than the fire giant. But that's why I feel like AC is hit or miss because depending on who you're fighting has a higher, has a reasonable AC or a super high AC or has a really easy AC. But like saves is, I feel like is a percentage. Well, and once again, though, if you have somebody that has uh, bonuses or penalties or, um, you know, to their saving throws, it's a wisdom save. So if they have a bonus to their wisdom save, it skews just like armor class does. And I think that armor class is fair. I mean, yes, uh, you know, for instance, these uh, givens were not that difficult to hit. 
Um, but I mean, it's still level appropriate. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, just as a baseline, I say, you, I say percentage works. Um, well, it, based on the percentages of my cantrips, it certainly feels they're very accurate because I feel like I do hit Eldritch Blast fairly often. I might min damage, but I hit it fairly often. But man, a green flame blade, that's going to be like, could I hit or not? I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, the good thing about Green Flame Blade is that it really doesn't cost you anything. No, it's just a melee action. Yeah. So, was that it? Yep, there was no Toll the Deads this time. Nope. <laughs> Which I, I did in our ghoul encounter, I did make sure that um, instead of like focusing, like I, I, I don't know what's better. I mean, there's arguments back and forth saying focusing one target is better than spreading out the damage, or spreading out the damage so everyone's weak is better. I don't know. Uh, personally, I think focusing damage is better. Um, but I would agree in, the, in, in the most ghoul, cases. Yeah, in the ghoul fight, I did make sure that the jump from my green flame blade did land on a non basically a ghoul that had full HP. So if you did Toll the Dead, all your targets were damaged, so you could do more damage with your Toll the Dead instead of just being like, well, this guy has damage, I'm going to do damage on him. I was trying to give you some options in the fight, but you never Toll the Dead, which is fine. No, I um, I didn't didn't even have to. You guys were taking those things down like grass, and I, I cast my uh, Spirit Guardians and... Uh, there was at one point I thought, oh man, my spirit guardians are about ready to rock because we had zombies packed around us. It was like six of them all inside of my reach. I'm like, oh yes, this is going to be good. And then <laughs> you guys just uh, mowed them all down like grass, which is great. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing, but I'm like, oh man, that's too bad because they were about ready to take some massive radiant damage. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so good session, had a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, this was, this was about the right mix, uh, I think for me for, uh, getting, uh, world building and backstory versus, uh, encounters. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I do appreciate that it wasn't all just lore, backstory, world building, um, and all the like, um, I but it also wasn't like the three, three dedicated combat sessions we had in Stormreach. I mean, yes, having three dedicated combat sessions in a row, back to back to back, um, is a lot. But I do enjoy combat, so I did enjoy those sessions. Oh, I did I'm too. Not... But the but I was starting to fear for my character. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the third combat, I was a little worried for Tabane, yes. Uh, first and second, not so much. Mainly because I thought there was only going to be two, but there was a surprise third encounter, and then I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, and I also have to say that I started off all three of those going, I don't know about this. That's a lot of giants. <laughs> yeah. But that's not to say I don't like the RPing and the world building and everything. Yeah, it's I like just, that. It's fun and it's fun and interactive, and it makes um, the session more lively and um, immersive. Uh, so you're not just sitting here like, "Hey, you're trudging through jungle. Hey, you're at your destination. Combat. 
uh, combat's over. Next destination is still jungle. Um, it's nice to get a couple sighting encounters or maybe a a tiny little combat encounter here and there. And it's um, and Teddy obviously knows the world very well. Um, it's yeah, full of information about it, so it uh, makes it very rich and deep. So. Okay, well, if you don't have anything else, I guess we can call it. Um, yep. Ran about, uh, well, we're close to an hour. So, uh, as always, I appreciate you taking your time to do this. Um, and uh, if you need to postpone for Pokemon again, let me know. <laughs> Probably not. I'm just in the stages of breeding Dunsparces over and over and over again. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we will talk to you next time. Bye.